0: Clear Mountain is a recording engineer, mixer, and record producer whose innovative approach has led him to work with industry heavy hitters like Bruce Springsteen, David Bowie, and the Rolling Stones. Having mixed Robbie Robertson's first solo album in 1987, he shared a long-standing relationship with him. With the 50th anniversary of music from Big Pink in 2018, Clearmountain was brought in to remix the album since he has brought his craft to every band release, the most recent being the band's fourth studio album, Cahoots. I sat down and talked to Bob Clearmountain from his home studio in California. Enjoy.
1: You got 6 on.
0: I think i should start a little bit about your relationship with uh robbie robertson a little bit i believe the first time you worked with robbie was probably during his first solo record and in 87 it came out in 87 and you continued to uh mix some of his work his solo work throughout the years music from big pink uh seminal album for the band and for for music in the 60s uh, it was approaching the 50th year anniversary, and uh, you were brought aboard to uh, work on that project. So maybe if you could explain a little bit about your relationship with Robbie and some of those conversations, which which led for you to uh, hop on the project.
2: Yeah, well, um, yeah, I missed that album. It was a, his first solo up record a, a suggestion by, I think, his A&R guy, Gary Gersh, at the time. I had worked with him with Bowie and some other people and it was kind of a funny story because Daniel Lenoir produced that album and uh, did a great job producing actually he, he, Daniel's brilliant but uh, he advised um, Robbie to, oh don't get that Clear Mountain guy because he's going to put that Born in USA, born in the USA Snare Drum all over your record which is like okay you <laughs> <laughs> know okay I, I hope hopefully I'm not defined by that you know And I said, no, no, that's don't worry about it. (laughs) That's 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 Bruce's thing. It's not my thing. So I thought that was that was kind of funny. that made me laugh that Daniel said that. But but anyway, so that that was that was a really difficult record to mix. It was really good, you know. And Robbie's amazing. He's so incredibly creative. He's got it seems like he's got an idea about every 10 seconds or so, you know. (laughs) And so we're always changing the arrangement and doing edits and all kinds of things. And so um, when the music from Big Pink thing came up, I mean, it really came through the, the label. I, I mean, I guess, I'm sure he he was the one that instigated it, but I had done a few other things for for the same people at the label. And um, it was, I mean, he's very, even though he do, wouldn't come over <laughs> to, he doesn't live very far from here. He lives in Santa Monica. Um, but I would send him, you know, mix, mixes all the time, reference mixes, and he would heavily comment, you know. I mean, he was really, the first album was very, uh, he really wanted it to be pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. You know, he wanted the same exact vibe, only sound a bit better, you know, more up-to-date sounding. And then we did the 5-1 as well. And and um but he was he was pretty adamant about that, and uh, and so it was interesting working with him because I, I I knew him so by that time I knew him pretty well, and so I could kind of anticipate a lot of the way he was going to react to things.
0: So he wouldn't he wouldn't come over. You'd you'd send him some of the reference mixes, and he would just kind of send back extensive notes, eh? Right, exactly. And and speaking about the sound, like I I can see that, especially in the context of now that you've done a few uh, music from Big Pink, more or less uh, sounds is relatively similar, but there's more separation. I know I've seen you talk in uh, a few different interviews about when you listen to music, you like to hear every instrument. Um, You like that separation. Like when you throw on a pair of headphones or you listen to it in a room, the updated mix you can really hear Rick Danko's bass or that you know that that snare hit from from Levon or that little kind of piano lick that Richard's doing in the background what were some of the things that you wanted to do when going in to this album to kind of update it not take it too far out of the realm of what people are expecting with this record but things that you would do to improve it
2: well it's interesting because it was it was a bit of a dilemma for me being a fan as well. I mean, I grew up listening to the, these guys and I was a huge fan of the of the band. And um and so I never had a problem with the way the record well, I actually did to be honest. I always thought it was a little on the murky side. You know, even before I was a mixer or an engineer, I loved the songs and I loved the vibe of the record and and everything about it. I loved but To be honest, I did kind of think, wow, you know, this, if you compare it to like Beatles records, which I also loved, you know, Beatles had had this clarity and this presence, you know, which, which um, music from Big Pink is really the opposite of that. I mean, that's part of what made it great. And so, but I never thought, well, this should be remixed. I never thought, geez, I, I wish I could make this better. So going into it, and I'm I'm always the one thinking, well, why would they remix that? What was wrong with the original? I love the original. And so it's you know, it's a bit of a conflict for me to even do that. But you know, I tried to go back to think, oh what what, what was I thinking when I when I first heard the record? And I said, yeah, maybe I can make it a little brighter, a little bit clearer, but try to keep the same vibe. I mean, I actually tried to copy like fader moves that they I'm just by listening to the record I, I didn't, there's no record of any of that stuff. You know, what, what was done. And I had to really listen to it really carefully to figure out what they were doing in the mix, which was was difficult. It's really hard to do that. You know, and um, you know, I mean, I mean I was a bass player and I'm, I'm not even any good at reading music just because, you know, once you know, if you play by ear, once you know, um, how the song goes you don't look at the music anymore <laughs> you don't look at the chart but it was like this it, you know once because I I had to really force myself to go back and listen to the you know that was like the the chart you know what I mean listening to the original so uh it, it was it, it was a challenge it was a real challenge and I know some people complained that they, oh well he missed the vibe and gee sorry man you know i did my best i really did and i was a fan i was as much of a fan of as anyone else you know
0: yeah it's it's different like i think i think the key to take away from all of these things is it never replaces the original there's always no. the original source material
2: exactly i mean my playlist my the playlist that i listen to now still has the original versions as the original yeah
0: yeah. And to, to be honest, too, mine has original, it has updated, it has a mix of both because I think that's kind of the cool part about it. I want to touch more about on the murkiness. Uh, you know, you become a master of it. You work with the Stones even, and some of that stuff is, is like that as well. It seemed to kind of define some of that late 60s, early 70s sound, um, getting away from kind of the rigidness of the studio and kind of
2: well also the tech you got to keep in mind the technology of the time was pretty different i mean four of the songs and music from big pink were four track right and and there was a lot of bleed across the tracks and it was kind of you know you push the faders up and that's kind of the record and um and so it it was limited as to what you could do i mean the, the beatles record on four track too but I don't know what the hell they were doing because those records sound still sound unbelievable. But um but on, on the band stuff, you can kind of hear that that they weren't they, they didn't put a lot of work into separation, you know, or, or anything like that. Or, you know, it was just kind of a guys in the room. I mean, literally, that's what it was.
0: Yeah. And one one of the coolest parts about the work you did is like digging up some of the stuff you know the band in their history and kind of what I guess makes them them is kind of the mystery surrounding everything that they did even on music from Big Pink the wait you get you include a little bit of studio chatter uh just before you go into the track which you know a lot of hardcore fans including myself love because we just like to hear kind of what's going on you know as they're recording these legendary songs do you I think I read somewhere too, though, that there may have been a few instances in some of these records, and we will get to some of the other ones as well, where you included more stuff or you dug up more studio chatter. But uh Robbie uh Robbie nixed it a little bit. I was I was kind of crestfallen to read that. How do you balance that? Because you do on on the first one, you have a lot of alternative takes. You've got outtakes, which I love because I like to see how the song develops or maybe where it could have been. Um how do you balance that, and how do you work with an artist uh, or a band uh, to kind of include those things? Because I'm assuming, based off of some of those comments, you kind of push for it maybe a little bit more than uh, Robbie does. Yeah,
2: well, you know, I mean, I would just <clears throat> send him what what I thought, and and he, you know, obviously he he's the artist, and so he's got final say. So I'm not going to argue with him, you know, because he he knows what he wants, and and um and that that's fine with me. I mean, there was one thing uh, on one of the records. Uh, I, I think it was um, I think it was stage fright, because um, Todd Rungren recorded. He was the engineer, and there was a funny little thing that he he said on the talkback at the beginning of, of one of the songs that I found, and uh, I really wanted to include it. He he just nixed it. He said no. Nah, I don't want any, Todd's talking to, I don't want to want to Todd's jokes and my record, you know. <laughs> That's yeah, because he said, uh it was take 25, I think of this one song. He's he said, okay, boys, here we are a a quarter of the way to a hundred or something like that. Or <laughs> you know, some, some kind of joke about the fact that it was take twenty-five. And um yeah, he he, he nicked that idea. <laughs> and I'm a Todd Rundgren fan as well. And so I thought well, this would be
0: funny. <laughs> yeah, there's one. I think it was one of the previous reissues of the album. I think it's John Simon in the studio talking about, he stops a take, I think of Whispering Pines because somebody's chair's creaking in the background. And some of those studio chatter, like I live off of that kind of stuff personally. I, I love yeah. that kind of stuff. So you get in that little inclusion of Robbie there at the beginning of the way it was, uh, was awesome. One of the last things I wanted to talk about music from Big Pink though is, you know, I I, I remember buying it uh, got the vinyl, came in the mail, I throw it on, start listening to it, and um, I get to the acapella version of uh, I Shall Be Released, which I was just completely blown away with. I wasn't expecting something like that. You talk about some of the bleed that happened in the studio and the way that they were recording everything what was that like working with? Cause I know with bleed and everything, like there's only so much you can do. Um, but you included that and you can, I think it's primarily the snare that you can kind of hear in the background that leave on with the snare at the, mm. in the back. But what was your approach with that and including something like that? Cause I think it obviously highlights Richard's beautiful falsetto really well, but, uh, it's, it's super special.
2: I think. Well, that was the idea for me, you know, Richard's voice is so beautiful in that. You know, it's just, it's, um, and it's just, you know he had that incredibly sort of sad, um, I don't know what you'd call it, you know, sort of really sad kind of tone in his voice sometimes that you know he almost sounded like he was crying or something. You know, I don't think he was, but but he had that incredibly emotional quality to his voice, and I thought this really kind of exposes that, you know, and and not only that, but just just the way they weave their harmonies together, and, and uh, they were just a, they're such great singers. I mean, you're talking about three like magnificent vocalists, and uh, and the things they would do with harmonies was just in, incredible. And I just and that was a, that was a perfect song to highlight it. I think
0: when you when you take a look back at the work you did on on music from Big Pink um, and the hours that you put into it digging through things was there anything that you were surprised to learn overall about the record because you had listened to it you said you were a fan of it and you dunked, you dug through it and everything was there anything that was surprising about about that process
2: for you i was surprised to learn that four of the songs were cut on four track (laughs) um and that the recording was kind of not the best recording in the world but um uh, other than that, no, I mean, no, no, I don't think there was anything. I mean, I knew the record so well and what's on the tape is what's in the record. And so it was just it was just interesting. It was fun to do and very interesting. And I, like I said before, a challenge.
0: Now, speaking of challenges, I think, you know, the second album, their self-titled album, the Brown album, there's not many more defining genre albums than that. You know, it really kind of they crafted yeah. their own sound you're talking about several tracks that are classics, you know, up on Cripple Creek, King Harvest, you know, songs like yeah. this. What were you interested in digging into on, on this record? Because, I, you know, this is probably a challenge too, because, you know, music from Big Pink, well-known, but the Brown album, super defining. Were you nervous at all, or was, was there kind of apprehension? Like, you've mixed massive records before, so I wouldn't think so, but... Well, yeah, I
2: mean, it was the same thing with with um, both those records is that th- these were favorite albums of mine when I was growing up and when I was a teenager. And um, and so I wanted to make sure I got it right. And uh, um, on the one hand, it was just fun listening to it. I mean, here's records that I've, songs I've lo- heard a million times and to actually have the multi and to hear it, how it was recorded and what was on each track. And, 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 um, the thing I was trying to do the most was, was anything that, that got, might've gotten slightly lost on the original albums because I didn't have any mix automation or anything. I mean, I have all these tools now that where I could just, I could ride a vocal on a fader and every little nuance I could kind of, I could get so that you don't lose anything. And, um, so just, uh, you know, I wanted to, it's that same thing of keeping the original vibe, but somehow making it better. And um, and just, just listening, uh, it was just fun to do, you know, as a fan.
0: Was there any instructions on this one from Robbie? Like the first one was like, more or less keep it the same. Was that the same kind of going into the Brown album? And was the working relationship between you two similar where you'd, you know, get reference mixes and send it to him and he he'd provide you notes?
2: Working in the relationship was the same. Um, it, was, it was a little looser, I think. He, he let me uh, kind of have a little, little bit more of my own thing, add my own sort of vibe into it than the first one, which he really wanted to keep, keep the same. But, but it was similar. It wasn't that much different. It was, uh, it was a better recording overall, so it was easier to deal with. Um, I think it was, I think it was eight track. Yeah, it was mostly eight track instead of uh, four, four. Well, eight, well, yeah, there were only four mixed four songs in the first one that were four track. So it was more similar to the rest. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, once again, it was one of my favorites, and so yeah, it was it was a challenge.
0: Does that matter overall? Obviously, you know, you probably get a lot of stuff that you mix and engineer today. It's very crisp it's very clean um you have a little bit more to work with but overall when you're when you're taking a look at an album like this in this case 50 years later does it really matter overall about some of that kind of stuff and the techniques that are used obviously you have more information now but you're able to still go in and 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 work with the material at hand right
2: It, it doesn't really matter what what matters is the is the music and the and the performances Really, that that's that's the thing. You work with what you got, and you you know do the, do the best you can. I mean, I you know I never s- sat there and said, "Wow, it's too bad this is such a shitty recording." You know, I just like okay, there's the drums, there's the keyboards, whatever it was. You know, the the tough part is because I was doing five one mixes at the same time, and so I was trying to do some some fun things in five one, which is tough when. You only have a few tracks to work with, but and then but the main mix was the stereo. I want to keep the stereo intact. The five one was just an extra thing, you know.
0: Just based off of my limited knowledge, you don't change your approach when you're when you're making stuff for five one, right? You're you're still your your goals, you know, the stereo mix and five one's kind of like, is there anything extra that you're doing to change your workflow to you know make these tunes? Sound good in five one.
2: Well, it's interesting because I'm a bit unique because I, I do them both at the same time. Right? It's the same exact mix, actually. It's just different outputs for each channel. And um and there's but there's a few things like you know, I'll, I'll have reverbs that are maybe quad reverbs or and sometimes I'll have a delay if there's a, any kind of an ambience. Mike, that'll be kind of in the back maybe um there wasn't much of that kind of thing on, on these records it just weren't enough tracks for that sort of thing but um there are a few things it, it, you know i tried to make it in the, the five ones as if you're sitting in the middle of the studio and the band is sitting around you you know what i mean so sometimes you have a vocal come out of the, one of the back speakers or or a guitar coming out of one of the back speakers and a lot of people would think oh why would you how would you do that? Well, picture it. Picture you sitting in the middle of these guys and they're all around you in a circle, you know, and so it kind of works. And that's how they recorded, Basically, I probably wasn't exactly the way I mixed it because I, I wasn't there, so I don't really know where they were standing, but I tried to make it all work logically, you
1: know. No,
0: that's cool. That's that's what it feels like. Right. I've I've listened to a five one. It sounds like that. It's super cool because just out of nowhere, you'll get something that it's just like it just grazes by, and you're like, wow, that's that's fun. It just adds a whole new kind of layer and dimension, especially the songs that you've you know listened to hundreds of right. times before. Sure,
2: right? to to hear it from that perspective, it's like it's really fun, you know. Yeah. Right, i have felt
0: that way. <laughs> All right, let's jump ahead then to, to stage fright. I think a bit of a sonic departure yeah. for, for the band. Uh, we, we touched on it earlier. Todd Rundgren came in and engineered this, so he brings a kind of a different sensibility to the record. Uh, they moved to a different location. Was there, again, any change in your approach on this? Uh, probably the recording was a little bit better to deal with, I'm assuming, um, but... I feel like as we go on and you're involved in these different mixes they do get a little bit more adventurous each time. So was it again another case of Robbie kind of letting you really get in there and and work with the with the songs? Yeah,
2: he didn't he really didn't like the way that record was mixed. And so he let me kind of do do quite a bit. Um and I thought it was recorded pretty well. I think Todd did a pretty good job. And it's funny because I've mixed it, I tried to mix a few things that he had produced and recorded, which was difficult. The other projects were, this is like the, the best recording I'd ever dealt with from from, from him. <laughs> and and um, although I love, I, there's some of his records, I, I just love the way they sound. Like Wizard of True Stars, one of my favorite albums because it's so nutty sounding. And I just like, love what he did on that. But this, this particular stage fright I, was recorded pretty well. And, um, so it was easy to mix, and uh, and not only that, but, he, uh, as I said, Rob, this one, Robbie was a lot looser because he wasn't ever happy with the way the record was mixed. in the first place, he kind of let me do do what I wanted with it. you know, and he still had a lot of comments. I mean, he always has comments because he always have, has ideas for things, you know, and improvements, and which is I love that. I, I love that he's got. You know, he's so creative.
0: Was there any approach to the guitars specifically? Because I think stage frights a little bit more of an electric record for lack of a better ter- term than than acoustic and in the electric guitar takes even in the original mixes, takes a little bit more of a, a frontal approach. There's even more kind of rhythm guitar tracks and lead guitar tracks, which was kind of uncommon on the first two records. Yeah.
2: It was that that one was 16 tracks, so they had more tracks and Robbie would do rhythm guitars. And there was usually, sometimes, you know, a couple of different Garths in keyboard tracks. Or, um, of course, those two guys would switch off sometimes. You know, sometimes it was um, Garth would would play piano quite often as well. I think
0: uh, one of the things that I think a lot of fans were talking about. There was some controversy around it, but just and and a lot of people liked it too. Was the resequencing of the album? What were those discussions like? I'm assuming it was Robbie's idea. He's talked about it a little bit, but as somebody uh, yourself who's listened to the album, what, what's your opinion on on some of the resequencing? And do you think it flows better now?
2: Um, yeah, that's a, that's I I don't know. I really don't know. But uh, that. I mean that. There was no question about that. Robbie had that in his head. He o- always thought the sequence was wrong, and uh, it was one of the things that he wanted to change and and he was quite adamant about it you know he said no this is the way it should have been the the whole time and uh, i said yeah okay (laughs) you know i i don't mind to me that yeah it was fine i think i like both sequences to be honest i think they're both good they both have their good and bad points
0: (laughs) it goes back to the whole thing it's like there's always both right so you can you can pick pick what you like i really wanted to talk to you about cahoots though because this this is the most recent one you've worked on I, this one is the most and correct me if i'm wrong here i feel like you really kind of sunk your teeth into it and tr- tried to do some different things with it and I, i'd love to dig into some of these these tracks like is it fair to say at at this point three albums in more than that working with robbie actually but three band albums in Robbie's just like go for it. Cause this record's kind of getting to the territory where this these kind of records like cahoots and some of the other ones for a while aren't as critic critically as claimed, aren't as part of music canon. So is there a little bit more looseness there to really kind of dig in and try to see if we can improve some different things?
2: Well, he was, I mean, Robbie was totally unhappy with this album. And in fact, <laughs> the way he describes it is the only reason. They started recording it was because albert built bearsville studios and he just built this new studio and he was like well, robbie go i built my new studio Go in, you boys go in there and record something he's like you well, we're not really ready to make a record well write some songs i don't know I'm sorry my albert <laughs> impression isn't that great but he was yeah i got to know albert pretty well so i should work on a better impression <laughs> but uh but anyway, so that that's what it was. It was more, you know, this is the first album I ever recorded at this this new studio and just go make it work. And I think they were still trying to figure out how to plug in the mics or something because some things barely got recorded, you know, and there was a lot of repair work that I had to do on it before while I was mixing it. And um, and not only that, but Robbie says, look, it was it was too busy. We were all playing too much. And um, and so just weed through it and, and clean it up. He said, clean it up and make it, make it more focused and more um, to the point and, and think about the songs and, and anything that's getting in the way, let's just get rid of it. And uh, so I did. I kind of did a lot of, uh, some of it's somewhat rearranged actually, you know. Um, and and um, Life is a Carnival, there were, you could hear on the drum track that Levon's playing this tom-tom thing. That's part of the groove. It's kind of a constant thing, and um, but it's way off in the background. You listen to the record, you hear it, but it's it's not the you know it isn't up front. And so I had to really dig it out. I mean, what I mean, I hate to say this, and, and I'll probably get killed for, it, but but we used a little sample. I tried to find a another drum that sounded exactly mm-hmm. like that drum and we just triggered it off of what he played you know and coming in it was really difficult to do we had spent a long time in pro tools getting it exactly to what he did in the dynamics and everything and um so that's that that drum that you hear over kind of on the right there and it and it's it's really i think it's really added to the groove of the song that you can now hear it and, and it's not like we add, I I didn't add something that he didn't play he actually did play but now it's it's more defined. And um then there were a few other things. I did a little breakdown after the middle section and and uh, just little things to make it a little more interesting. I mean, like I say, Robbie was really unhappy. He he didn't even like listening to the record. He said, Look, we gotta make this better, you know. And so I think what I I could
0: no and it sounds it sounds great. I wanted to talk a little bit about you said you you, you might get killed a little bit about it, but when you approach something like drumming. Like Levon has he has a specific kind of sound that's that's his. Um, but yeah, you're you're taking a sample and you're and you're you're putting it in there, you're trying to match the intensity in which he hits it at and, and all of that. Was there any other instances where because of you know how things were recorded during the period of time, were there other instances on this album that you felt the need to go back in and have some, you know, sample blend uh in there?
2: Um yeah, there probably was in places here and there. You know, hopefully you don't really hear it; that it just blends. I try when I, I try to avoid doing that as much as possible. But sometimes I just can't get the, the presence out of something that without it, and so I'll, I'll try to make it sound as as in context as possible, and and not not jump out at you like, oh well, God, there's samples, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: I think people also fail to realize that it happens a lot more on some of their favorite records than they think. Really a lot. You know what I mean? So much. Yeah. In talking about some of the stripping down of of some of the tracks and the busyness, um, talk to me a little bit about that. Because it's a very different, it feels very different. Like you stripped a lot of the stuff out. You know, you sitting there and playing with different things and and trying to come up with something that sounds good. I think is that the real just barometer of yeah, it. Yeah,
2: pretty much. You know, something that sounds good and that that complements the song too. You know, it can't. I, I'm always thinking, yeah, a, a great sound is great, but if it doesn't complement the sound, if it doesn't add to the the piece of music, then uh, it's not it's not good. And so, to me, that it just worked, you know, it, it um, I kind of everything I do hopefully is, is, is like that, you know, to me, it's the music that's most important. And I, when I listen to records, I don't listen to the mix or, you know, I mean, sometimes the arrangement, but it's really this, the song, the melody and the, the lyrics that, that interest me the, the most for most of the stuff that I listen to, you know, and how does it make me feel? And if there's something in there that, annoys me and i don't want to hear that you know what i mean and so so i will get rid of whatever was getting in the way of the song and it's irritating
0: was robbie after you showed him some of these mixes and and everything was finalized do you you think he was a lot happier with it after the fact
2: i I think he was he told me he was he said he he thought it was really really special and he was quite proud of it now and uh i don't think he was lying because uh he doesn't mess around. He doesn't mince words ever. You know what I mean? He tells me what he thinks. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, it was a, that took like a month to mix, you know? I mean, it was a, it was a long, that was another one. so that was even more of a challenge simply because he said, look, we got to make this better. This, this record, I was not happy with it at all. And so whatever you could do to make it, make it better, you know, other than, replaying something, you know what I mean? I mean, the musicianship is is fantastic, so nothing had to be, certainly, that wasn't gonna happen, but, uh, but just whatever I could do. I mean, there were some outtakes. What was the song? Oh, there was one, I don't have a list of the songs in front of me, and I don't remember titles, but there was one outtake that there was, I mean, they really played nothing on it. I mean, they just, they noodled around a little bit on one chorus. And then I I just totally revamped the thing and turned it into something. I mean, it's still not not a song. What's
0: endless highway? Maybe.
2: Yeah, I think it was endless, endless highway. highway.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's interesting. So you just kind of found that and just tried to make something out of it.
2: Yeah, right. And there was Robbie did some licks on one chorus, and then I kind of repeated them and then chopped them up so it in a different chorus so it sounded like he played something different, and you know. <laughs> I mean, I did a lot of, a lot of rearranging as much as I could, you know.
0: Do you find that a challenge? Cause like when you're working with the Stones, uh, if uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes, you know, a lot of those guys are still there. So if you need to come in and do punch-ins, like if, if Mick needs to do like a vocal punch-in that he, that he can do it right. Like with, th- with this group, you know, unfortunately a lot of these guys have passed on. So that's the challenge, right?
2: Yeah, it's a challenge, but they they really didn't have to redo anything. They just played. Played great, I think you know, and, and that wasn't a problem. And and with the Stones, that's only there's only one record I had to redo. Uh, no, actually, that that there was that that one in the '80s that that I did that came back and redid some stuff. But um, and the and then the the Shine a Light um, album, I actually talked Mick into to uh, resinging. Satisfaction, I think, because he he was like really out of tune. You could tell that the he wasn't hearing the monitors, and some something must have happened to his his monitors because it was like he was kind of all over the place. But um, other than that, uh, I the Stones we haven't. I I never had them come in to do anything. You know, looking
0: at all of these records together, was there anything that stuck out? to you is the most challenging or even the most fun one to kind of get in there and, and, and take your approach on it.
2: Well, Cahoots was the most fun because I, I had the most freedom to do all kinds of stuff, you know, and I just try things and send them to Robbie's Oh, what do you think of this? You, Yeah, that's okay. Or no, that sucks. Don't do not What'd you do that for? You know, it was like, um, I remember the one time I did some edits on um, life as a carnival on um Alan Toussaint's horn arrangement I took one note out he goes what happened to that you know it's like of all the things that I did wow that's the one note he goes oh man no you got to put that back that's really important okay (laughs) he was right
0: yeah no that just speaks to that Robbie uh I guess he fully understands everything that was going on in every single song it's not just like he's passing these tracks along for somebody to mix, he, he, he cares about the music.
2: Absolutely. He, he knows what's there, you know, I mean, he's totally, totally aware of of everything. And so.
0: Um, Is the goal to remix all of the band's catalog might not be able to comment on, on, on that, but um, uh, is, is the goal to keep on going?
2: I I don't know anything else they, they want me to do, you know, I'm just like, that, that isn't my, my decision. Um, I'm a big fan uh, and always have been of the band and so I'll do, and a good friend of Robbie's and a fan of his as well and so I'll do anything they ask me to do you know the Cahoots album was also interesting because that was the first Atmos mix that I'd ever done in fact when the label called and said oh could you do this but instead of well they didn't say instead of a 5-1 they said include as well as the 5-1, because you do an Atmos mix. It was like, they didn't say it that way. They said, oh, can you deliver an Atmos mix? I found out afterwards that they wanted the 5-1 as well. It's like, really? Oh, great. And so luckily I was able to make the the 5-1 from the Atmos because they, Dolby, it gives you a way to do that. But, um, but that, so that, that was like a big thing for me. So besides the fact that I'm, mixing this album and rearranging it now I have this whole new technology that I'm trying to come to terms with, you know, I've just upgraded my room out of more speakers and all kinds of, you know, crazy technology. So it was a major uh, transition.
0: For people that are a little less literate on, on what Dolby Atmos is, is it, is it more outputs? Like you're essentially, are you using more speakers or can you explain that a little bit more?
2: Well, there's more speakers, you know, five, one system is, is a, five speakers in a subwoofer and um atmos is the minimum <clears throat> to according to dolby to mix an At- atmos track is 12 speakers and so you got it's basically a seven one speaker so you have three in the front two on the sides two in the back and then four on the ceiling and um so i had to upgrade to that and just technically that's um, Needless needs to say, it's a lot to deal with. And then there's this Dolby renderer thing, which is a whole mind-boggling experience, <laughs> technically. Luckily, having have a good technical assistant, assistant that was able to wade through it all. And um, and Apple Music and Spotify, Tidal, and Amazon, they're, they're all, you can stream now this Atmos thing in headphones. And really, you're not hearing obviously all these speakers. Headphones is still just two speakers, but they do like some kind of sort of an encoding process that supposedly simulates that in some way. I've yet to really hear that, to be honest. <laughs> but but apparently, it, to some, for some people, they they can hear that. And the way it was explained to me was that oh, if you have a trained ear, you don't hear it. But if you don't have a trained ear oh yeah you, oh, i get this yeah right <laughs> right so i don't know interesting but um yeah apple music's a little bit better because they have if you have their head tracking headphones and you turn your head it actually wakes your brain up as to what things that are behind you and around you and above you interesting yeah wow
0: wow okay and how now going into cahoots and doing this, how many had you done previously? Or was that was that the first, the first one that long. you had done?
2: Yeah, that first was the first long. one. Sure. BMG called me up and said, Look, we want you to do the, the Cahoots album, but could you deliver an Atmos mix also? And then that's when I said, Okay, sure. You know, then I had to spend a couple of weeks upgrading the room. And um, so that was the first one. And then now, now I've done like 10 albums or something like that and it.
0: And was it a challenge like you, you had mentioned Cahoots was up to now 12 track. Um, was that plenty for you to, to get in there? Was that still a challenge compared to, you know, some of the,
2: some, how many tracks you can have today? Um, No, that, that, see, that was pretty, there was, that, that was good. It wasn't the best recording in the world because they were in this new studio that they were still uh, figuring out, but, but some of the things, I mean, it was 16 track actually re, a recording But there are things like, especially in Life is a Carnival, the the horns were recorded on uh, this Alan Toussaint arrangement on three tracks, which was great. So I put them in the back and you just get this wonderful feeling of this, this horn, this horn section behind you with the band and kind of in the front and on the sides. And, uh, it's pretty great. I mean, if you could ever, if anybody gets the chance to hear it on a proper, atmos system with speakers, it's uh, it's really fun to listen to. I think you know, and so that that was that was fun. You know, it's work as well. I mean, it's difficult, but it was fun, fun work.
0: Yeah, me. no, rewarding, rewarding for sure.
2: Absolutely, um, really good and fun.
0: All right, and. In closing, Bob, because uh, we uh, you know that you're a busy guy, um, if, you, if you had to pick a song by the band that was, was your favorite, I always ask every guest this, what, uh, what song would that be?
2: When You Awake. That's one of my favorites. And King Harvest. Those two are, I think, my favorites. Plus The Wait. Of course, that's the classic. I love that song.
0: When You Awake. That's a that's a first for a guest. I love that. That's a, that's a deeper cut for a lot of people. Yeah,
2: something about it, it's a great little story, and mm-hmm. and and it's just got a cool little chord change and a, and a modulation in there. And I, I just musically and lyrically and melody-wise, it just always kind of struck me as a cool little song. You know, I mean, it's not a it's not a big grand. There's there's nothing it's just it's kind of a small little very sweet song
0: thanks bob for coming on i appreciate it
2: well my pleasure you know, i'm just i hope everybody enjoys the band as much as i do no matter which version you listen to
0: <laughs> of course yeah thank you appreciate it that was my interview with Bob Clearmountain. I hope you enjoyed it. Talking to Bob was awesome. Um, like I mentioned off the top in the intro, um, Bob Clearmountain is a mammoth in the industry. Uh, his innovation, his techniques, the people who he's worked with throughout the years, um, is bar none. And, uh, he's one of the humblest guys, uh, I've had the chance to talk to after the recording, we were talking a little bit about the stones and, uh, He asked me my opinion on uh, one of his mixes. So that just goes to show the type of guy that Bob is. So if you like the conversation, uh, make sure that you follow us on social media. We're everywhere. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all at The Band Podcast. If you're interested in contributing to the show on a monthly basis and getting a whole slew of additional bonus content, uh, including early access to the episodes, Stuff from the archives, weekly reads where I pull some of the best articles about the band from the internet, and additional writings I do, like the piece that I've been sharing recently on Richard Manuel and Robbie Robertson's partnership with songwriting. Consider joining our Patreon, and that's at patreon.com slash thebandhistory. Uh, There's a lot of great patrons already there enjoying the content, and we'd love to have you. But that's it for me for this week on the Band of History. Plenty more to come this month and into the rest of the summer months. So I hope you uh, enjoyed this episode, and we'll catch you at the next one.
1: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.